Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you see them inside, it's probably too late. Termites, that is. Notorious timber tooth Ted and his swarm of outlaws are always on the trail to the next meal, which might just be your house. But these home wreckers are no match for Terminex. With quick draw expertise and specialized training guaranteed to protect your home. That's been the truth around here for 75 years, and it ain't gonna change. Visit TrustTerminex.com to keep these pesky outlaws dead or outside. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 273 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, January 24th, 2021, and Duke is on a three-game losing streak. I am unfortunately sorry to report, but we are here, regardless of the outcome of the game, to break it all down for you and hopefully shed some light. We'll see how that goes. I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein. I'm coming to you as usually I do from my home in Boston. I'm joined as always by my two partners in crime. Jason Evans is all the way down in Atlanta. Jason, how are you this morning? Uh, I mean, you know, bummed because the Blue Devils lost another game. Uh, A good effort on their part, but, uh, and we are here to talk about it. That's our job. Losing streaks be damned. Donald, (laughs) Donald Wine is also here. Yeah, he's in Washington, D.C., I believe. I am. And you know what, guys? I know we're going to be talking about some some bad news, but I want to start with some good news, at least at least for me. 
Uh, as you guys know, I went to Detroit Country Day, same high school that Shane went to. We both know each other from high school. Our state championship football team, congratulations to you. For the first time since I was a senior in high school, Detroit Country Day won the football state championship in Michigan, won on Friday night, blanked out every single opponent since they restarted a few weeks ago. They took an eight-week break because of uh, COVID shutting every, everything in Michigan down. They came back, and they have not allowed a point since then all the way to victory. It's the first time they have won, again, since 1999. So congrats to Coach Mack. Congrats to my man, Coach Mann, who coached me uh, in high school at track. Uh, and they have sons now who are leading their team to, nat- to the state championship. So congrats to them. Uh, Country Day Yellow Jackets, we're back. We're at number one. Wow. I can't believe we have good sports news today. This is we had to leave with that. We had to. That Donald, thank you so much for that because now we're going to spend I don't know how long talking about Duke's loss to Louisville, which occurred yesterday at the KFC Yum Center. It was a seventy to sixty five loss, probably the best that Duke has looked in its last couple of of losses. Unfortunately, it's three in a row now, but it is still a loss. Duke drops to even five and five on the season and three and three in conference play. Things are not looking good for Duke at this moment. But I want to start with the headlines before we get into the nitty gritty details. So, Jason Evans, I'll come to you first. Give me your headline from this game. Different story, but same ending. Short and simple. And and, (laughs) and that that sums up the game, doesn't it? (laughs) I, I think that I think that says it perfectly. Donald, what about yours? Mine is effort and plue. Excuse me. Effort improves in close loss, but close only counts in horseshoes. Ooh, there you go. I, I had uh, everything but the win for Duke. Yeah, in this one. I think that's so pretty accurate. I, I, think, I think we all summed up something very similar. So I mentioned at the top, it, it was a close loss for Duke, but one that where it, it just got away from them at the end. A few guys missed three-pointers with time expiring, and, and Carlick Jones from Louisville, who we told you about in the preview, he was a monster for them down the stretch. So let's start with the good news because we, we like to do that first before we get into the bad. Donald, I'll come to you first. Tell me about your good news from this game. What, what, what did you see that, that gave you hope looking forward? I think I, I think I alluded to it in my headline. The effort was way markedly improved than it has been the last few games. The energy, especially we talk about the fact that we have slow starts in the first half to start the game. We didn't have that. It was. I thought we matched their intensity very well. We matched the energy of Louisville very well. It was back and forth. The, I mean, we the biggest lead on either side was Louisville was up six in the second half. We were up three at one point. It just kept going back and forth. 18 lead changes, nine ties. They were fighting the whole game. You could tell that they were fighting the whole game. Uh, I, Window Moore, and I know, I know Jason was on the press, post-game presser. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I know Wendell said in the presser that – the crowd was the biggest that they had been in front of all year and that they kind of fed off that. He said that Louisville probably fed off it too, but they were like, you know, extra excited to play in front of people. Uh, and we've 32, talked about, by the way, 3,200 people, they had 3000 people there. That's yeah. That's crazy. That's, what like a, that's maybe, I mean, the Yum Center is pretty big. Yum Center is, I think is 21,000 or something like that. So it's still socially distant, but that's still a lot of fans given, you know, where we're at right now. But I think they fed off of that and you could tell that they wanted to come in and kind of silence the crowd. And for the most part, the crowd wasn't really in it. You know, they, they were there. You could tell after Louisville scored that there was cheers, but it wasn't like the momentum 
led them to victory. We our guys fed off of that very well, and I was very pleased with the effort that they had. You can't. It's one of those things where I it, before you're like, man, if we had had half the effort, we would have won. Now it's like, man, we had the effort. It was there. We just had some mistakes and we had some things that didn't go our way uh, that we'll talk about. And that's really the difference in this game. But the energy was there. I like seeing that. And I hope that continues because we need to bottle that up and bring it back to Cameron on Tuesday night. I think that energy comment is huge. And, and yeah, the fact that Duke was able to feed off a crowd, even a small crowd, is, is something that, that at least gives you a little bit of encouragement that, look, maybe it's just that the situation in which they're playing this year is making it tough for a bunch of guys who committed to a school mostly thinking if nothing else I'm going to be playing in front of raucous crowds at every game that I attend be it in Cameron Indoor where they're for me or on the road where they're against me Jason Evans tell me about your good news from this game so I I asked Wendell Moore in the post game Donald alluded to the fact that Wendell was the player that came out and and spoke to uh, Wendell and Matthew Hurt both spoke to the media but uh, but I actually specifically asked Wendell um, if Duke had done anything different in this game to, um, to, to in preparation so that we would, get, we would get off to a good start. And he said they hadn't. He said they just came out and brought the effort that they, you know, that they talk about doing every single game. I actually pressed him on it. I was like, I was like come on, man, really? Nothing? You guys did nothing differently? Because it was a, a very markedly Different start to the game. I mean, it seems sort of crazy to be excited about the fact that Duke was only down 10 to 5 and and to be excited that it was a 1 to 2 possession game for virtually the entire game. But given where Duke has been lately, we'll take it. You know, this was this was good that Duke was in there the whole contest. I mean, that's sort of how far the team has fallen. But I, I think it's absolutely good news that they showed effort, that they were competitive with a good team throughout the entire game. Um, speaking of Wendell, I think he's getting closer and closer to being the player that we expected him to be. Um, he clearly has his confidence back. And along with Matthew Hurt, I mean, I'm kind of I kind of think that Wendell Moore is is somewhat be, becoming somewhat indispensable for this team because of his ability to play in a lot of different ways, cause a lot of different problems for the opposition on both offense and defense. We don't have many guys who are contributing on both ends of the floor the way Wendell is. Um, and, and, and I love him at the top of our zone with his length, using his length in, in the zone. Um, and I thought that was very effective for Duke uh, early in the game. I, I, I wish we would have seen some zone late in the game when Carlick Jones was carving us up uh, late in that game. Um, I, I just wish we would have th- thrown a zone at him. I mean, it, if you recall, Carlick Jones had a ton of points in the second half, almost no points in the first half. Duke played a bunch of zone in the first half, almost no zone in the second half. I sort of feel like when Carlick Jones was destroying us, I think we should have thrown zone at him just to, just to you know, give him something different to look at because he was. We said in the preview that he, I, I specifically, I remember saying it. He's the best pick and roll player in the ACC, and he was <laughs> killed us on the pick and roll. But I, anyway, back to the good. I, I, I do want to mention um, uh, Joey Baker. Uh, Joey hit a three. Uh, uh, you know, it, it was good just to see him hit one. Uh, yes, he, he went back to missing them again after he hit one, but the, we know he can be incredibly potent from out there, and seeing the ball go, th- go through the basket is just so important for him. I, I am certain he is going to explode some game, and Joey is making a difference in other ways other than being a shooter. I mean, like he's still getting plenty of pay- playing time, even though he's not shooting particularly well right now, 
that is such a difference from the Joey Baker we've seen in years past. So, so I think that is incredibly great news. And I am certain I will put money on it right now that Joey Baker is going to have a game where he hits three plus three pointers and, and is like player of the game sometime in the next 10 games. I'm sure of it because he's just too good a shooter not to have that happen. I feel great about that prediction too, Jason. I feel like Joey Baker's just got, you know, there's just a little bit still missing for him to have that breakout. And I agree with you that I think it's coming before the end of the season. You mentioned Wendell Moore, who's, who is, uh, seems to be coming along at both ends of the court. I want to look on the offensive side and tell you that my good news from this game is Matthew Hurt, who continues to be the best player for Duke. Jalen Johnson probably has more upside and, and, and more potential than Matthew Hurt does. But in this season, Matthew Hurt is the best player for the Blue Devils, and he showed it again, I think, on offense yesterday against Louisville. Nine for 13 from the field and four for five from three. That is, that is an incredible performance that you will duplicate any time. And, and honestly, the only bad thing is that, he, is that he got into foul trouble and then fouled out at the end of the game, forcing other guys to have to take those final shots when you would have preferred to see Matthew Hurt taking them because he's just been automatic for Duke this year. And, and especially so in the last few games, it's a shame that it's being overshadowed by the fact that Duke is losing. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about Matt hurt. And as much as we heard about him in the off season and then in the preseason about how much he's improved, it really feels like it's coming to fruition for him right now. Yeah. And, and the thing about him and Jalen Johnson is when Jalen is good, Jalen's the best player on the team. But when Jalen is not good, uh, when Jalen's just having an average game for himself, um, Matthew Hurt is unquestionably the best player on the team, and Matthew Hurt's the only guy on the team who's consistent at, at this point. And consistency, are, can you know, is it time for us to get to the mushrooms, the veggies, that's, the, that's the, the autoplay key, videos? Consistency key, is Jason. just killing this team. Yeah, that's the key. Consistency right there. It, that's why he's been, you know, arguably the best player in the ACC. Justin Champagny is probably the front runner at this point, and Matt, Matt Hurt is right behind him. It's because he is consistently, even when he has a bad game like he did the other day uh, against, uh, against Pitt, he still has like 13 and 6. So like if, if a bad game is 13 and 6, you're pretty, you're pretty consistently offering something to the table every single night. It's, it's surprising to me still how quiet it feels the way that Matt Hurt you know, puts up numbers. I think there's a lot of guys in this team that that want to be scoring more and want to be moving the ball around more, but Hurt's the one who's actually getting it done. So I think that's my that's my good news from this game. We'll move to the uh, autoplay videos portion of the the recap. The the bad news from this game, Donald. I'll let you go first. Tell me about the bad news that you saw from this game. And I, I think there's a few different places you could start. Yeah, well, I will start with one that I think is is just the biggest elephant in the room, if if we will. Over the last four games, Duke opponents have shot 101 free throws, and Duke has attempted just 53. That is a net minus of 48 for Duke. Yesterday, we were 7 for 9 from the line. Louisville was 18 for 24. They made twice as many field free throws as we attempted. That's usually a stat, that, and, and Coach talked about it. That's usually a stat that we do. We usually make more than the other team attempts. We've talked about it. We talked about it against Pitt. We talked about it against Virginia Tech. This is something that has become a serious issue. And Coach K spent a lot of time talking about it in his press conference. Uh, and Jason will elaborate on some of that a little bit later. But the fact that we can't get to the line and the fact that we're sending them to the line. I mean, they were in the bonus, I think, before the you know under 12 timeout in the second half. That is 
a problem. And it's not necessarily where we're just, it's not because necessarily we're, we're being overly aggressive or anything. It, they're just, we have to evaluate why we're sending them to the line and conversely on offense, we're not being as aggressive and making sure, putting ourselves in positions where all they can do to stop us is foul. They're, they're not checking us on open threes and they're not checking us inside the paint because sometimes we miss even open bunnies. These are things that Duke needs to evaluate in the next couple of days. Yeah. Let, let me talk a little bit about the free throws for a second. Um, and like you said, coach K talked about it in the postgame news conference. He said he's never had a team that shot so few free throws. And he said, we need to look at whether we're using our hands too much on defense because we're fouling too much. Um, and, and he was very clear. He was not blaming the refs. Um, I don't think there's anyone out there who, who thinks that the refs are consistently jobbing Duke. TV um, Teddy was actually fine yesterday. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he hit the biggest calls didn't come from him, which is he needs a He needs shocking. a bigger crowd. Yeah to, yeah. to really get into the, the he, full he, Ted Valentine. He's not a, he's not, he's, he's a preseason TV mode. So yeah, but, but, uh, but like Carlick Jones specifically drew 10 fouls this game. There were 10 times we were guarding Carlick Jones and we fouled him. Duke committed 23 fouls to only 15 for Louisville. And, you know, Donald, like you said, we've heard for years that Duke is the team that makes more free throws than our opponents attempt this year. Uh, our opponents have made 145 free, th- free throws and Duke has shot 147. So basically this year, the, the script is completely flipped on that. It's kind of unbelievable to see that from a Duke team. Um, and, and both Louisville and Pittsburgh, our past two losses, the, the two games we lost this week that I think are very frustrating for a lot of Duke fans. In both of those games, Louisville and Pitt each took 15 more free throws than Duke did. 15 more free throws. It is really tough to win a game when you're sending a team to the line 15 more times than you get to the line because free throws are easy points. Most teams are hitting seven out of 10, you know? So 15 more times, they're getting what? They're getting a, a 10 extra points on you. That is really, really hard to overcome. On the offensive side, for the, the bad news, the other stat that I wanted to highlight, Duke only had seven assists yesterday. Uh, in a in a game where and 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 you could see that the way they were playing a lot of ball stopping and and I've I've talked about you know the the last few games how I want to see more ball movement I want to see Duke able to just sw- even if it's just swinging it around the perimeter more um, that would would at least feel like there's a little bit more movement in the offense and a little bit more uh, to try to keep the defense on their heels rather than on their toes I, I think that element from Duke has been missing entirely. Hey, Sam, I, I hate to do it. I hate to be the guy who calls out a specific player, but Jeremy Roach has got to get better at this. Jeremy Roach is a, is a huge ball stopper. When, when, when a pass comes, first of all, he dribbles too much. When a pass comes to him, he waits to decide what to do with it. And he has got to be a faster decision maker. The ball has got to move quicker. Duke is really, really easy to guard right now. Duke struggles to score because other than Matthew Hurt getting, you know, those turnarounds and stuff like that, and other than us, you know, maybe getting something on a fast break in the half court offense, we are very predictable. We are very slow and we don't create opportunities for easy shots. And I think, honestly, I I won't call him out specifically because I think it's not something that is unique to him. I think you were right in. In, in assessing what he's been doing, but I don't think that's just him doing that because we saw a lot of times yesterday where the ball would come down, especially in transition. It'd come down and all of a sudden it would just, it wasn't like we would stop to set up an offense. We would stop to force a bad pass. And 
our, on ourselves. And we would sit there and wait for an angle to disappear and then throw the ball as opposed to, you know, trying or, or trying to make the impossible possible uh, by throwing a ball through like five people to try and find someone under the basket. Those things have been happening in games before. And you saw it a little bit yesterday. And, and when people get frustrated, they try to do it more because they, it's, it's just like the shooter's mentality. The next pass is going to go through. The next the next guy is going to hit hit the open jumper, and it just compounds itself. And yesterday, it wasn't like it compounded itself in a in a bad way where the game mushroomed out of control. They were still able to keep it within reason and keep it within control, but it definitely killed us in several possessions where we could have taken the lead. The thing I want to see on that front is just a like a, a, sim- a more simplified offense. Cause I think Duke is, is, as you guys have said, they're trying to do too much, be it Jeremy Roach or, or guys looking for Matt hurt because they know that he's making baskets, be it DJ Stewart driving the ball to the hole and not necessarily having a plan for it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that this could improve for Duke. I just want them to have, to have, you know, a little bit better court vision, be looking around for guys and, and create more movement. Jason, uh, Give me, give me your thoughts. I, I, I think I may have skipped you uh, uh, on directly addressing your, your bad news for this game, but, but tell me if you've got any more bad news uh, before, we, before we move on and look ahead. Sure. So there are a couple things. Um, boy, I wish, I wish I had less in this category and more in the first category, but let's be honest. Let's keep it honest. So first of all, I want to mention something. Uh, Duke's ranking in uh, Ken Pomeroy, uh, you know, in the advanced metrics, just keeps on dropping. Um, we are now down to number 32. Um, and, and the reason to note it is not the absolute number. Obviously, you know, everyone knows Duke is struggling. Everyone knows that Duke has played its way into being a bubble team at best at, at the moment and that we've got to get some wins. Uh, but th- this was yet another game um, where, uh, where Duke's ranking fell after the game. With the exception of the Notre Dame game, Duke's Ken Palm ranking has fallen after every single game we played this year. Every game, whatever the expectation was for us, we failed to meet it, and so we got knocked down a little notch. As a result, Duke is now na- Duke failed to cover the spread again. Duke is now one in nine against the spread this season. And again, not that I care from a gambling standpoint, but I care from the standpoint of Duke meeting expectations. And yes, the expectations for Duke are always high, but you got to have some games where you meet those expectations, don't you? I mean, whew. and then I want to talk about the the end of the game. Um, at the 455 mark, Matthew Hurt made a, a difficult jump shot. Um, it, it basically, from that moment till the end of the game, the final five minutes of the game, Duke got two free throws from DJ Stewart, and we got a bucket in the lane by uh, Jalen Johnson at the very, very end. That's it. At winning time, we could not get a basket. And in the postgame news conference, Coach K lamented the basketball gods for not letting the open three-pointers fall. I mean, we got wide open, really good threes from DJ Stewart and Joey Baker, our two best shooters. And both those shots missed. And Coach K talked about, he was especially upset for Joey because he said Joey's been working so hard and Joey deserved to have that three-pointer fall. If Joey Baker's three-pointer falls, uh, it, was not, it was not the one to tie. DJ Stewart had the one to tie. Joey had one that would have given Duke the lead in the final minute of the game. Uh, it would have been huge. And, and, could not have been a better look. So frustrating. This is where the second half of my headline comes in because of that possession after the game was over. I text regularly with some of my uh, best friends from from college, uh, from my freshman dorm. And I was like, man, like 
it was Stewart's second Stewart shot. The second shot was like, felt like it was three quarters of the way down and then rolled back out. And my friend goes, you well, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And I'm like, yeah. And that's the thing is we were almost there. We, uh, we almost had everything put together. We almost had enough energy to win. We almost made that basket. Almost doesn't count in these games. When you look back, they're going to show a loss and they're not going to show the almost. And I think the guys definitely deserve to win. They played well enough to win and it just didn't happen. And that's, I think that's more demoralizing than playing with no effort and losing playing with and by, effort and losing is, is way more demoralizing. And, and by the way, I mean, look, the, maybe we just have to accept that we're a woefully bad three point shooting team. I, I don't think we are. God, remember guys in the preseason, we were hearing about guys hitting threes and we thought this was going to be a really good three point shooting team. But Duke is now hitting less than a third of our three-pointers. And aside from Matthew Hurt, who, who's hitting in otherworldly 47%, Matthew Hurt's at 47% on his threes. We have four other guys on the team who average more than two three-point field goal attempts per game. So these are, guys, these are the guys who are shooting it. And none of those other four guys are hitting more than 32% of their three-pointers. Do you guys know who's the second-best three-point shooter on the team DJ after Stewart. Matthew Hurt? No, no. It's Jordan Not even Goldwire. off the top of my head, yeah. Oh, it's Goldwire. Jordan Goldwire. In term, again, in terms of guys who take at least two three-pointers a game, Jordan Goldwire hits 32% of his threes. DJ Stewart's only hitting 30%. Wendell Moore's hitting 26%. And Jeremy Roach is hitting 23.5%. And, and I'll tell you something. There, there are plenty of – look, almost at, at almost every moment of the game, you have Jeremy Roach and Jordan Goldwire on the floor, you know, they're on the floor together a lot. When those two guys who are both clearly reluctant to shoot from the perimeter, when those guys are on the floor together, it is really tough for Duke to get spacing. Cause I think the opposing team sloughs off of them and clogs the lane. And it is really, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is because they're both very good players. And I think they both need to be playing. But when those two guys are in the game together, Duke can't get spacing. When Jordan Goldwire is in the game, especially when it's the, uh, Jeremy Roach, there was a point, I think, in the second half that Jordan Goldwire was in the game. And I, on possession, on when we had the possession on offense, I checked to see where people were in relation to Jordan Goldwire. There was no defender within 10 feet of him at any point on offense because they were like, go ahead, shoot it. And, and I think they even talked about it on the broadcast where as he's shooting a three and missing game, they're like, yeah, they're going to let him take that shot because, you know, it's clear that he's not going to do it. So, that's something that we talked about last year with Jordan and, and Goldwire. Wait, and and he's the he's the best <laughs> he's the best perimeter three point shooter other than Matthew Hurt on the yeah. team. And Come we on! talked about this we talked about this last year. And there was a point at the end of last year before everything got suspended and canceled that he started to get it together and he started to hit those threes and make people at least check him a little bit. And that opened up the floor for so much. We need one of these guys to do the same. If Matthew Hurt, they're gonna, you know, Matthew Hurt going out to the perimeter hitting a three, that's not gonna change anyone's defense. But if DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, or Jordan Goldwire, if one of those guys can come in and start knocking down threes, it'll make everything flow a little bit differently because the defense will have to check them and that'll open up so much more space. You know what's funny about you, Jason, bringing up the the three point shooting is that as I was watching this game, one of the things I I, I have a I sort of note my my visceral reaction or, or my like my like top of mind reaction when I'm as I'm watching and sort of thinking about like, oh, the ball's moving around this way. You know, what 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 am I feeling as that's happening? Basically, every time that Duke takes a three, not by Matthew Hurt at this point in the season, my like my immediate physical reaction is, well, that's the end of the possession. 
like, and, and it, it, it's totally subconscious. It's not like I'm realizing that it's happening, but I see Duke take a three. And in years past, it, when Duke is a better three-point shooting team, it's Duke's taking a three. And I feel hopeful that Duke is about to, is about to, to, to make the shot and that, and that they're going to get three points. I, I now have this physical reaction like, that's it. The possession's over. You know, whoever it was other than Matthew Hurt took the shot. The ball's going the other way and Duke's not going to get three points. So it, it feels like it sort of invaded my mind at this point. I wanted to bring up, since you guys were talking so much about the shooting, uh, to remind you about the stats game and wanted to ask you guys who, if you remember, who did you pick for being, and, and by the way, this is not self-serving, so I'm not giving away the answer. Who did each of you think was going to be the best three-point shooter on the team at the beginning of the season? Do you I, know? I, I, said, I definitely said Joey Baker. Definitely. I think, and, I think I said and Donald? I think yep, I said you Roach. Said, you said Roach, and I said Joey Baker. So we are, we are currently getting crushed in that spot. Do you remember who each of you picked uh, as, as having the highest field goal percentage this season? Mark Williams. Yeah, I think Pretty I had Mark, Mark Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah, both of you had Mark Williams, and I had, and I had Matthew Hurt. Uh, that's not really working out for any of us either uh, at this moment. I'm I'm actually closer than than the two of you are to winning that category. So is, far is Jalen Johnson leading the team in field? Jalen Johnson is is slightly leading Matthew Hurt. Henry Coleman's actually ahead of both of them, but I, I think we would probably throw him out for um for for not having enough uh, uh, field goal attempts. By the He's way, hitting, Henry he, Henry played significant minutes yesterday. Henry was early in the rotation yesterday. He mm-hmm. was ahead of Jamin Breakfield in the rotation. I um I'm glad for Henry. We know he's guy he's a guy who is killing it in practice. And um I mean he he didn't do very much. He almost had a four trillion. I mean, does getting a foul avoid getting you yes. a trillion? Yeah. Yes, a foul avoids that, that appears in the statute. So yeah, so he didn't have a four. Is that a four trillion and one? <laughs> but uh, but I I uh, I'm glad Henry got some minutes, and um, I, I I still have high hopes for him. A few weeks too late for all of our enthusiasm for him, but yeah, it would be would be nice if he can round it out here and, and be effective. Hey, look, Justin Robinson did that for Duke last year. Who's to say that Henry Coleman can't be that guy this year? Exactly. I did want to I did want to round out this discussion on the Louisville game. Uh, and hand it to Jason, who was able to dial into the Coach K press conference after the game. I wanted to ask you, Jason, about the kind of weird exchange that Coach K had with the Chronicle reporter and and wanted yeah. us to discuss that really quickly. I don't want to harp on it for too long, but what happened and and what was your kind of take on it watching it live? Well, so I think the first thing we should do, let's just go ahead and play the exchange, both the question um, uh, Jake Piazza is the name of the Chronicle reporter. He's been on a number of these uh, post-game and, and player interviews. There, there are sort of a couple different reporters for the Chronicle who cover Duke who, who show up on these things. Um, uh, so Jake is the name of the, re- the reporter. He gets called on, and, and you'll go ahead, you'll hear Coach K's response to, to Jake's question. Hi, Coach. I'm just curious as to what, what the next step forward here is for the team as you guys move into another week of basketball. Yeah, why don't we just evaluate this game? You know, I'm not into what our next step forward is right now. We just finished the hard-fought game. Yeah, I don't know if, like, when you, what, what, what's your major? What's your major at Duke? What's your hardest class? Econ. Okay, so say you just had the toughest econ test in the world. And when you walked out, somebody asked you, what's your next step? Uh, you see what I mean? Does that, you have some empathy and, and you know, just give us time to evaluate this game and then we'll, we'll figure out just like we 
always try to do uh, what, what the next step will be. The next step, obviously, is to prepare for Georgia Tech. You know, how we prepare for them, that's what we're going to have to figure out. So I'm a, I'm a journalist, as you guys know. Uh, in addition to doing this, in addition to covering Duke basketball, uh, I, I work for CNN. And I, I think I want to say right off the bat that what Coach K, Coach K did not treat Jake Piazza with the respect that Jake deserves. Uh, I, I think it was um, strange and demeaning to sort of ask him about his major. And, uh, you know, sort of I get that Coach K was trying to make a comparison there. Um, you know, to, to taking an exam, I, I understand where coach K was going with it, but, but it felt very weird. I will tell you that, uh, you, you saw a number of faces, the, 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 the news conferences are, are on zoom obviously. And, uh, I have my zoom setting so that I could see all the other reporters who were on it with me, uh, in addition to seeing coach K and, and you saw a number of the reporters sort of, you know, furrow their brow a little bit like, Ooh, is he really going here? Is he doing this? Um, I, I, I know that, that Duke wants to treat the Chronicle reporters like the paid media, the, the folks who are working press. Uh, I thought Coach K did not treat Jake like the way he would have treated a regular reporter there, and, and I think that is unfortunate. That said, it's kind of a sort of a BS question. It's, it's, a, it's a stupid question because it's not one that's going to elicit anything of a meaningful response. I mean, I really wanted to ask Coach K – why didn't you go back to the zone when Carlick Jones was carving you up? I mean, for the final seven minutes of the game, you didn't play any zone and you just sat there and watched Carlick Jones pick and roll you to death again and again and again and again. How come you did not make any adjustment to it? I never got a chance to ask that question because Jake Piazza was asking Coach K, where do you go from here? Which is just such oh, an so, obvious... So, so Jason's now going to call out uh, Coach K <laughs> for being mean to the reporter and the reporter for asking bad questions. So he's, Yeah, he's so, right. No. He's an equal opportunity hater. Yeah, Jason, Jason's coming in here just to just to ruin everyone. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say though, I will say I, I thought the the questions, whatever, right? You, you get those questions a lot, and coaches, you know, coaches probably gotten a billion of them over the years. One, I will say, I have seen him treat Chronicle reporters way worse. Oh than yeah, even last night. I mean, way worse to the point where, like, yo, coach, like, you need to calm down. But this one last night, I think the analogy in itself should have just been the answer. He didn't have to kind of guilt trip him into it all you have to, do have is to say, layer hey. on the yeah the, all you the do whole, is say like, like your major yo, thing yo basketball is like an exam and after exam you just kind of evaluate how you did in the exam you don't look forward to the next one you just kind of say how do, you know you turn in your paper and you say coach your professor how did i do you don't ask him so when's the next one and he could have done that it would have been fine i think the rest of it was just kind of piling on a little bit but you right, know, there, there are ways to do that sometimes That's, there are I ways mean, to do it where you don't sort of embarrass the reporter and i think and look, I get it. Coach K is frustrated. <laughs> There's no yeah, question. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, one of the reasons I did not get to ask my question, Coach K usually, you know, he gives us an opening statement and he usually takes a bunch of questions. He took like three questions and then he was like, and then they were like, okay, Coach K is done. I don't know if they sensed that maybe the Chronicle thing was going to be something. You know, if maybe the, the Duke Sports Information folks, Mike DeGeorge, we love you, Mike. I don't know if Mike DeGeorge maybe sensed uh oh, this this could be this is not the time to have Coach K answer more questions. <laughs> yeah, coming on coming on the on the heels of a third straight loss and one where Duke clearly could have won the game and didn't and and you could probably I mean Mike DeGeorge could probably see Mike Shashevsky coming into the into the the media availability space and being like, uh oh, this is not going to be good. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I bet he I I wouldn't be surprised if he was ready to pull the plug well, early no, on that. Regardless, knowing where the like 
press room is in relation to the locker room, he probably didn't have to see it. He probably heard it. Ooh, good well, point. It, it was at Louisville. Doesn't matter. Uh, in a lot of, place, <laughs> yeah. lot of places, the, yeah. the media room is right next to the locker room, so they don't have to, you know, spend five minutes like walking through the halls to get to wherever they just want to get in and get out. So usually he's right next to us. So they probably could hear what was going well, on. And, and, and before the post-game press conferences, the coaches always go into the locker room before they come out for that. So you can kind of get like the, anyone that's like sort of in the backstage area, not even where the press is, but like back in the, in the dressing room area, those people really know kind of what the, the raw emotion is before you get the somewhat filtered version that comes to the press. And, and I do want to say this, uh, to Jake Piazza. Jake, if you're out there listening, welcome to the club, man, because Coach K has eviscerated uh, many reporters way worse than he did to you. It is a badge of honor, I think. I myself have been in a Duke postgame news conference and had Coach K just tear me a new one for what he thought was a stupid question. It was a perfectly reasonable question. As, as folks will recall, I asked Coach K about the rotation and he got mad. He was like, we don't have a rotation. And he, yeah, so I, I had depth. to, yeah, I had to rephrase the question as I had to ask him about our depth. Uh, you know, I, Coach K sometimes just decides, uh, I'm kind of sick of the media right now. And I think after losing three in a row, he's a little sick of the media. So as we, we've now said too many times, Duke is on a three-game losing streak, but we must look ahead. Duke plays Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. We are going to break that down right after this break. All right, guys, we are back. And as I mentioned before the break, Duke is playing Georgia Tech this week. The Yellow Jackets are coming off a loss to Virginia. But prior to that, they had actually been on a bit of a roll. They had beaten Jason's favorite Clemson team last week. So uh, Georgia Tech looking looking a little stronger, I think, than, than folks expected. Hopefully, we're looking at a good game that Duke is able to pull a victory out of. Jason, I'll come to you first. Tell me what you see on the advanced stats about Georgia Tech and, and what we can expect from them. Yeah, this is a pretty good offensive team, this Georgia Tech team. That's, that's the, the biggest thing to take away from this. They are, uh, they're, they're a very good three-point shooting team. And, and as you know, Duke is, not, Duke is not great at defending the three. Uh, Georgia Tech hits almost 30, uh, sorry, more than 38% of their threes. Uh, that's top 30 in the country. Um, and, and as a result... They are very, very, uh, they have a very high effective field goal percentage. They also do not turn the ball over very much at all. Only 16% of their possessions end up in a turnover. That is really good. Again, about top 30 in the country. And as a result of being good from three and not having many turnovers, Georgia Tech has a top 40 offense in the land. Uh, they are a very, very experienced team. They, they play, you know, a, a, a lot of uh, guys who, who are juniors and seniors. Almost their entire roster uh, is guys who are juniors and seniors. They really don't have any freshmen that they're putting out there. And in this crazy pandemic year, that is a, you know, that's a really important thing to have on your side. Um, uh, they, you know, you mentioned they, they had, they, they blew Clemson out. They, they, they beat North Carolina. Uh, they, they really, they, they, even the game they lost, you know, this weekend, they lost to Virginia. They only lost by two points at Virginia. That's a really, really, you know, as quality losses go, that's an outstanding quality loss. So, so this Georgia Tech team will present some real problems for Duke. Um, in terms of where we can attack them, 
they're they're bad at defending the three. I talked about them being really good at shooting it. They're almost as bad at defending it as they are at shooting it. They give up 38% on three-pointers on this season, uh, which is a you know really, really big number. Uh, so maybe they are a team that Duke can get healthy against from the perimeter. Goodness knows we really, really need to. And then the other thing to mention about their defense is maybe one of the reasons they're bad at defending the three is that they go for the steal. This is a great team at, at stealing the ball. Uh, almost... 13%, 12.8% of possessions against Georgia Tech result in Georgia Tech getting a steal. That is outstanding. Top 10 in the country. Uh, so, so the way to characterize Georgia Tech is good shooting team, takes care of the ball really well, that gets a ton of steals, but is vulnerable from the perimeter. Duke has got to take advantage of the vulnerability there. Otherwise, we're playing a super experienced team that is playing really good basketball right now. And uh, and this three-game Losing streak could easily become four against a Georgia Tech team that I remember in the preseason, I was touting Georgia Tech as one of the teams that I thought was going to rise. Georgia Tech and Clemson were two of the teams that I thought were going to rise up from the middle of the ACC pack toward toward the front of the pack, to, you know, toward, you know, to challenge the top tier of the ACC. Um, and uh, for a little while, it looked like maybe Georgia Tech wasn't there. Lately, it looks like they're absolutely there as one of the most experienced teams in the ACC. They are um, it's going to be a tough game for Duke. Donald, Jason mentioned the last few games for Georgia Tech. They they also had some postponements, so their schedule has been a little bit wonky this month. What have you seen from them from the past few games uh, that you think stands out? Well, Jason mentioned that he thought at the beginning of the season when we did our ACC preview that they were one of the teams that could rise to the middle of the pack. I, I picked Virginia Tech as well. We were kind of talking about those two teams being the highest risers along with Clemson uh, in, in the ACC, but they didn't start out that way. They started out by losing to Georgia State, Georgia State, which is their little brother in Atlanta, not in, not in Georgia, in Atlanta. They lost to them in four OTs to start the season. Then they turned right around and lost to Mercer by 10. So, but they also beat Kentucky when Kentucky, when that win meant something, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, but they kind of started the, the whole, you know, domino effect for Kentucky. And, and like you mentioned, they've, they've had close losses to, you know, to UVA, uh, they they beat Wake, they beat UNC, they just beat Clemson last week. I, I think when it comes to Georgia Tech, the issue about their experience is not really issue, but the issue about their experience is that they rely on it a lot. They don't rely on their bench at all. You think our bench minutes are, are terrible? Their bench minutes are terrible. They're 340th in bench minutes. They only use 18.2% of, of, of their minutes come from the bench. That's even worse than Duke. They are fourth in experience in the entire country though. And so what that is, is that experience, that consistency, those things that we haven't found yet this season, they have been using that, especially in this last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, like Jason said, just losing to Virginia is a pretty good loss. They had a couple of chances to win it there. Beating Clemson before that in the middle of the week, that is a really good win for them. That's going to help them uh, move forward. And really what it comes down to this, Duke is back home. We had three straight losses on the road. The last time we had three straight losses was 2016. So, but we saw, again, we saw that energy. We saw that excitement. We saw that, you know, just competitive edge that we had been missing. Can they take what they did in that area from the Yum Center and bring it back to Cameron and put it towards this game? That's what I'm looking forward to seeing because Georgia Tech is going to bring it. They haven't beat Duke and, and Cameron in quite a while. They want to be uh, back on top. Duke wants to get back on the winning column. 
take that energy, bottle it, bring it back. Let's see if they can do that Tuesday. Looking at Georgia Tech's players specifically, the thing that really stands out, I think, to me is that they don't play a very deep lineup. The guys that they do play, as Jason mentioned, are great shooters. There is a lot of good shooting on this team. So Duke is going to have to defend a bunch of different guys from beyond the arc. But Georgia Tech does not play a, a a deep bench. So maybe Duke can get them into foul trouble and, and that might help. They've got a starting lineup that all play over 28 minutes a game. And there's only two other guys on the team that are averaging even more than 10 minutes a game. So I wanted to talk uh, you guys through a couple of the, the key starters for Georgia tech. Their most efficient player is not their biggest scorer, but their most efficient player is Michael DeVoe. Duke fans are probably familiar with him as they are going to be with basically the rest of the Georgia Tech starting lineup because they're all juniors and seniors, as as Jason said before. Um, DeVoe's averaging 14 points, four boards, and three assists a game and shooting 42% from three. 42% from three. That's awesome. He's not the only guy that does that. Jose Alvarado is is a senior and also shoots 42% from three. He's averaging 17 points a game with three rebounds and four assists. So these are two guys that really fill up the stat sheet and, and are kind of leading the way for Georgia tech. Another big scorer for them is Moses, Wright. He's the, he's the big man. He gets the most rebounds, six and a half rebounds a game and also averaging 17 a game. So this is a, a, a team that, that among those guys, all of them can score and, and they're very impressive. The last guy that I think is important for them is Jordan Usher. The only other guy that's, that's scoring in double figures, 11 points a game and five rebounds with, with three assets. He's another big man. So Usher and Wright are the guys down low DeVoe and, and Jose Alvarado from the perimeter. And then the starting lineup is uh, rounded out with, with uh, Bubba Parham. He's, he's not, um, he's not quite as, as, effective on the, on the stat sheet, uh, pretty good defender for them. So, so that's the starting lineup for Georgia tech. Those are the guys you're going to see most often during this game. And as I said, Duke fans, if you've, if you've seen Duke play the last few years, you're probably familiar with all of these players because none of them seem to go anywhere. They're, they're, they're all juniors and seniors. They're very experienced. And I think that Duke is going to have its hands full on Tuesday, even though they're back in Cameron indoor, because I, I don't think, you know, we, we've talked about, how little consistency there's been for Duke this year. This Georgia Tech team is consistent, even when they're losing a close game to Virginia. Um, they've, they've been pretty good here the last month, month and a half, and it's going to be a, a tough one for Duke to win on on Tuesday night. You know, really quick, I just wanted to mention, Sam, um, you mentioned Jordan Usher, sort of their other big man. Uh, this is someplace where I think Duke may try and take a little bit of advantage of things because Jordan Usher, is he plays more like a guard. He's 6'7", but not like really bulky and strong. Um, and, and he is, you know, their second biggest player on the floor to Moses, right? Moses, Wright Is a big guy, but I, I think you may see Duke try to take advantage of the fact that Georgia tech is basically playing four guards around one center for the most part. Um, uh, you know, all the guys you mentioned other than Moses, Wright Would prefer to be on the perimeter on offense and, and frankly on, on, on defense as well. So, so maybe that's a place where Duke gets to, you know, take advantage of things either, um, Jalen Johnson or Matthew Hurt will have Jordan Usher on them for the most part, and and I'm hopeful that they can that Duke can figure out a way to take advantage of that matchup because um, th- there are not a lot of matchups that favor Duke here because this Georgia Tech team is experienced and as a result they are men playing against Duke's boys. I I do unfortunately think that the matchups overall favor Georgia Tech in this game. Not that their players are are much more talented than Duke, but as you noted, experience really really counts for something when it's 
juniors and seniors against predominantly freshmen and sophomores for Duke. So it, it's going to be tough. ESPN is saying that, that Duke is favored in this game. Duke is, is still considered a slightly better team according to Ken Palm, but, but the results for Georgia tech recently have been pretty stellar. So I, I I'm, I'm personally worried about this game for Duke and, and let's not forget the context here that Duke is currently on its way, trending down They're They're back to 500 on the season, uh, both across their, their whole record and in ACC play. So really hope that the Duke doesn't end up below 500 after this game. So guys, we'll move on to some, some parting shot notes and our player of the week um, awards. Um, not a fun week to be handing out the player of the week, but we're going to do it anyway. So on the parting shot front, I know that Donald had a couple of notes for us that he wanted to highlight. Why don't you go ahead with those Donald, and then we'll get to the player of the week. Yeah. So the first one I want to, quickly notice a congratulations to Gene Banks. Uh, Gene Banks, a, a Duke legend, was named the AD, uh, the athletic director at Gaston College, which is in Dallas, North Carolina. Not Dallas, Texas, Dallas, North Carolina. Now, this is a junior college that has not had an athletics program in 50 years. So they're trying to reboot the program, uh, all the athletic programs, and they started by hiring Gene Banks as the athletic director. So congratulations to him. I will say one of his first hires was Dickie Nutt. Now, you may have heard this name before. Dickie Nutt is going to be the associate athletic director. He's going to be the head basketball coach. He was the former coach at Arkansas State and was also an assistant at Florida State under Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton is the person who kind of linked him to Gene Banks into Gaston College and recommended Dickie Nutt for the job because Leonard Hamilton played ball at Gaston College. I don't know if you guys knew this, but from 1966 to 1968, before they canceled their entire athletic department they had a guy by leonard hamilton playing ball for them before he finished his ball at university of tennessee martin so uh, that is an interesting link from not just duke but from the rest of the acc also leonard hamilton timeless no one here thinks that he played ball in 1966 uh, at all unless it was middle school so but congratulations to gene banks congratulations to uh, to him for helping to reboot this program and, and really just you know, starting small, but really growing. And hopefully this leads to a lot of success for them on the junior college front. If Beavis and Butthead were here, we would be laughing about the name Dickie Nut, but we will yeah. not laugh about it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but Jason did. So <laughs> let, let's just remember that I am actually the youngest person on the show. Jason is in spirit, the youngest person on this program. Right. So <laughs> in case, in case anyone's, in case anyone's concerned about that. And Donald, you also had a note for us about the about a new wrinkle that the NCAA uh, brought out this week related to being able to play in the tournament. What was that? Yeah, you know, and it's something that came up on the broadcast last night, and I wouldn't have uh, heard about it unless you know Jay and Dan were talking about it. And so I think you guys caught it around the same time I did. And the wrinkle is that the NCAA is requiring all teams that participate in the bubbles that are in and around Indianapolis. They have to test negative. Everyone on the team has to test negative seven days in a row before they can go to the NCAA tournament. So there's two things that I think we need to hone in here. The first one is this. If you're a team that is clearly in, like a Gonzaga or a Baylor, right? If you're clearly in the tournament, then why go through the conference tournament and risk damaging your seating or anything like that? You don't need it. You're going to be in. You might as well just opt out of your conference tournament. Now, the other issue is if you are a team that is on the bubble needing a signature win in your conference tournament, usually that's the time you get it. People like to upset, you know, 
the Dukes and the Kansases and the Kentuckys of the world in previous years to try and put that on their resume for Selection Sunday and get off of the bubble and into the NCAA tournament. But if those big teams are going to opt out, the there's fewer of those games left. There's fewer signature standout wins that you can get in the conference tournament. So that is a problem. But here's the one that I think that everyone needs to really keep in mind. This happened just yesterday. Just yesterday, the University of Michigan's athletic department, all the athletic programs were suspended by the state health department of Michigan for two weeks because the first cases of what people are calling the UK strain of COVID that's more transmissible. The first strains in the state of Michigan were done, were were brought in by Michigan athletes, or at least tested by Michigan athletes. So they shut the, every program down. That's basketball, that's hockey, that's field hockey, whoever earlier in the year, let's go back to December. Marion County, Indiana, which is, the, which is where Indianapolis is located, barred the Gonzaga-Baylor game from happening because Gonzaga had a couple of positive cases within their program. Don't think for one second if they could bar that game from happening that they wouldn't step in and shut things down if they think a team that is in that enters this NCAA bubble for the NCAA tournament shouldn't be playing. And just, you know, the state health department, the county health departments, these guys are going to need to be on board with what the NCAA is saying. So hopefully the NCAA has a plan for that. But the seven days of negative tests has really opened my eyes in the sense that we could see a lot of fallout from this. We don't know what it's going to be yet, obviously. And the ACC kind of has to hopefully get on board with everyone else and say, hey, guys, I know you guys are going to be mostly into the tournament. Let's make sure that you guys are also in, involved in the ACC tournament as well for, for our posterity. But a lot of teams are going to have to make a lot of decisions with regards to this. Yeah, and here's the thing that I think people aren't necessarily thinking about that is kind of interesting about the potential for good teams opting out of tournaments. And I agree I uh, that a, a fair number of good teams may decide I'm already in the NCAA tournament. I don't care about the conference tournament. I can't risk catching COVID by traveling to this conference tournament. And so they will opt out. The interesting thing about that is uh, I believe the conferences still are going to give the automatic bid that they have to the winner of the conference tournament. So there may be, there's gonna be more possibility perhaps for teams to, you know, get upsets and win their conference tournament because the very best teams in their conference aren't playing. If this happens and, and we see, 10, 15, 20 teams that know they're in the tournament opt out of their conference tournaments, you could see a lot of craziness in those conference tournaments. And, and there are going to be some conferences, you know, uh, uh, you know, I haven't really looked that much at, at the West Coast Conference that Baylor, uh, I'm sorry, that Gonzaga is in. But if Gonzaga opts out, that may have been a one-bid conference. Um, usually they, they end up getting one or two. That may have been a one bid conference. Well, they're suddenly going to be a two bid conference because usually St. Mary's is is messing with them in that conference, but it's usually one or the other. It's very rarely both of them. Right, right, exactly. So, so if if Gonzaga opts out, that becomes a two bid conference, and there could be other conferences like that where you know where teams opt out, uh, and and the conference gets an extra bid as a result. So it could I mean, right well, now, right now in the West chaos. Coast Conference. The second best team in the West Coast Conference is BYU, according to Ken Palm, and they're 47th, which is right in in bubble territory. And and the next best teams are are below where you would consider bubble teams. So 
that that absolutely could be the case. And and let's say BYU feels good and Gonzaga feels good, then you have another team that that could potentially be stealing bids. So I, I think there's a lot of of gamesmanship that might be going on among different teams and and wanting to play versus not playing. We feel like we're in the tournament. That that kind of thing. I don't think this is like. I don't think it's going to be in a sense where there's just going to be like 50 teams sitting out, right? Because if if you get to that point, it's like the NBA draft. Everyone thinks they're a first rounder, but only 30 guys can get taken in the first round. So, but I think there's going to be, I think this is going to be reserved for those teams. Gonzaga is the one that I think, as you both know, that we need to watch out for because that could, by them opting out, it could give them another bid and knock someone else off of the bubble and crash out of the tournament. But I do think that some of these teams, if, if you're talking about the ACC or the Big East or the, or the Big Ten, if some of the top teams decide to come out, that will honestly hurt the bottom half of, or the middle of the tier of the leagues who are trying to beat one of those teams to put that on their resume and tell the NCAA committee, hey, look, we beat Virginia. We beat whoever. Like this, this, We're in the tournament. We should be in the tournament. They won't have that opportunity. And so I think what the conferences are going to need to do is kind of say, hey, guys, if we want to get, you know, we, you're in the tournament, but if we want to get 10 teams in the tournament, you got to stick around. And we figure out a way to make sure that you're testing properly. But you got to stick around because otherwise you're only going to sell off the other, you know, the teams on the bubble over here that would need a win from you or from someone else to get in. And there continues to be no discussion from the ACC about rescheduling any of the games that have been postponed. I, you guys haven't seen anything. I haven't seen anything on that front. So Although, we continue. You know, they, actually, the ACC did something kind of crazy this weekend. It, it makes sense, but it's kind of crazy. So Pitt was supposed to play BC this weekend, and Wake Forest had the weekend off, and BC couldn't play because of COVID. And so the ACC had Pitt play Wake Forest instead. It was like they just... It's kind of made finally, up a game. <laughs> finally, they, they they're they're doing something creative with the with with the postponements and the and the travel. Yeah, had, I, I mean, they had done that before. Uh, I believe UNC and Syracuse had a game. I don't right. know if it was one that was supposed to be played later on or whatever, uh, but they did have one where UNC was supposed to play somebody, and then they got COVID, uh, and then they just said, "No, Syracuse is coming to town now, so you guys play Syracuse." So it, it's happened a couple times, but it's because I mean, every team we play there's more than three or four COVID cancellations. We have a few ourselves. Like there's a lot of games mounting up that need to be rescheduled. And there's not a lot of calendar left to reschedule them. Duke is, I'm telling you guys, I think Duke's never going to play Florida state this season. It's just not going to, it's not going to get scheduled. I don't know when they could, but (laughs) unless unless they, unless they do something where they're like, Hey, by the way, all you guys meet in this gym, you guys play a back-to-back. That's not going to happen. So yeah, it's going to be difficult. All right, let's round out the show this today with our player of the week picks. It was a tough week for Duke to be picking players of the week. So, Jason, I'll come to you first. Give me your player of the week in a week where Duke didn't win any games. So uh, I would have told you coming into Saturday that it would take a terrible game by Jalen Johnson for him not to win player of the week because he was that great um, against uh, Pittsburgh earlier in the week. But and and he, do we he have was not the, terrible. He was do we not have terrible. The, do we have the Price is Right uh, failure trombone? <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, I want to be clear. He was not terrible. I just thought that Matthew Hurt was so good, and uh, and, and Matthew Hurt was also fairly good against Pitt. Um, I think when you guys said earlier uh, uh, on the podcast, he had thirteen and six against Pitt, 
he had, uh, and, and that's like a bad game for him. He had 24 and eight against Louisville. Um, and I still feel like I need to make up for a couple weeks ago <laughs> when I did not pick Matthew Hurt when he won national player of the week. So I am going with Matthew Hurt this week. All right, Donald, who you got? So I can't go Jalen Hurt and I can't go Matthew Johnson. Uh, so I'm just going to go with Matthew Hurt because like Jason said, uh, even though he was off against Pitt, his energy was there. He fought through having a tough game. He also had fewer turnovers than Jalen Johnson did uh, on the week. They both had zero against uh, against Pitt, but they both had a few against against. Uh, uh, who do we play? Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. I know it's yeah. easy to forget. It's easy to forget. There's just too many games it, 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 in a season where we had stretches with no weeks of games. Now there's too many. Uh, but yes, against Louisville, they both had turnovers. I think the consistency factor. The, the edge lies with Matthew Hurt, so that's where I'm going. I'll make it three for three for Matthew Hurt this week. Six for ten from three. I will take that every week from him. If he wants to go six for ten from three every week for the rest of the season, that is a that's a good performance for me. He's Duke's most efficient by far offensive player this year and and has really made defenses key in on him. So I, I hope that that continues. Can, can I just say, if I'd known both you guys were going to take Hurt, I would have taken Jalen Johnson. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. You, you, you pick the one that's true to your heart. This is not Jalen deserves is, some. Jalen deserves some some Player of the Week shout out. If Jalen does, it, it, look, we we've talked about him, and if he earns it outright, according to any of us individually, then he will get that 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 honor. And and I'm sure he's not moping around his his hotel room worrying about it. So. Let's not let's not feel bad for Jalen Johnson. He has he has plenty of opportunities to garner uh, useless player of the week awards from the DBR podcast. So I think that will do it for us this week. We we got a few we got a few uh, upset emails uh, this week about the way the team has been playing. So we appreciate those and, and have been getting back to folks. If you as yeah, we always got, wait, you, wait we we got one from someone who's like I want to talk about the draft. Who's going to go in the draft? It's time to talk about next year. I'm not we, there we, yet. We, I'm not we, there. We yet. still have another. No we still have another buttons. two months of the season to 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 get through. So we will worry about the draft when the time comes. Don't worry. We will do plenty of breakdown of, of Duke players in the NBA draft. It's all coming. If you do want to get in touch with us and want to ask us anything about what's going on in the season right now, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's the best place to get in touch with us. Hopefully one of us gets back to you. I think we've, I think we've responded to most of the emails that we've gotten so far. If you like the show, please leave us a review. Five stars, please. None, no, nothing less. Five stars is really the only review that we're looking for. Although, if you don't like the show, I suppose you can email us and tell us. But five stars wherever you uh, listen to or, or rate podcasts are very much appreciated for us. That will do it for episode 203, 273, 203. I think I'm going backwards. 273 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast for Donald Wine and for Jason Evans. I am Sam Klein. We will talk to you again this week after Duke plays Georgia Tech. With that, the Duke band will take us home.